but leadership cannot replace the need to manage. Now, you can be a manager without being a leader. Maybe you can be a leader without, without being a manager. I don't want to get into this philosophical uh, debate, but I'm a little bit tired of hearing all the time, we lead here, we lead there, we transform here, we transform there. Welcome to the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast, where IT and digital leaders from around the world talk about their careers, their inspiration, and their vision for the future of digital business. I'm your host, David Wright. The world of digital business is evolving faster than ever, and I want this to be a place where digital business champions create a village to band together and help each other navigate the ever-changing terrain. Disruptive Innovators features conversations with CIOs and digital leaders from around the world, diving into their personal backstory, career, their current role, trends they've been seeing, and their vision for the future, personally, professionally, and otherwise. This podcast is made for people who are seeing how quickly the digital business landscape is evolving. Those who recognize that it takes a village of trusted advisors to navigate this ever-changing terrain. People who enjoy listening to high-level discussions surrounding what it means to be a leader, real-world examples of challenges faced, and industry-specific strategies leveraged to create exceptional business outcomes. This episode is brought to you by Disruptive Innovations, a leading tech consulting firm that helps enterprise organizations with their IT strategy, process optimization, and workflow improvement. Contact them and find out more at disruptiveinnovations.net. Good morning, friends. David right here, and I'm your host of the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast. This morning, I am lucky enough to be joined by Guy Hadari. Guy, it's a pleasure to have you on. It's a pleasure to be on. Guy, tell our listeners a little bit about your current role. My current role is uh, the global CIO at Biogen. I guess everybody is familiar with Biogen. I've been there as a CIO almost two years. CIO is an interesting role. Probably we will talk a lot about it in this podcast, but just uh, as as an introduction, Biogen is a global company. You can call it biotech and you can call it pharma. It's kind of in between, I would say. So some would call it biotech, but it's not really a biotech. It's it's a grown-up biotech, so to speak. Phenomenal company dealing with the most difficult, I would say, health areas uh, around neuroscience and really, really tough things to crack. And I think that's what exciting, what is exciting in this company, the fact that they really try to touch areas and, and frontiers that nobody is really looking to, to address as well. So that's my current role now. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be excited to ask you some more questions about that. But before we get into more about Biogen, first off, we like to ask our guests, what's one piece of actionable advice you'll look to give our listeners today? One piece. So it's interesting. I had a, I had a discussion with my team, uh, part of my team two days ago, and somebody was asking me that question, actually one of the people there. And my piece of advice, but it's not fair because this advice comes from uh, me after 60 years of experience. I mean, since the day I was born, so it's not so fair. I'm not sure I would give this advice to people uh, if I was uh, 35 or 40 years old. But piece of advice is be careful from your comfort zone. Everybody develops 
or develops a comfort zone in his life and especially in the professional life, right? You have your comfort zone. I don't know what it is, but I'm sure you do. I have my own comfort zone, which, uh, you know, took me 25 years to recognize what is my comfort zone and the fact that I actually do have a comfort zone. And I was uh, battling with myself in the last 20 years how to get away from my comfort zone because if you give up to your comfort zone, that's where you will stay. And if you evolve and develop yourself, whatever is your development plan, whether it's functional, managerial, leadership, technical, doesn't matter. The toughest thing is to address things uh, with yourself and with your colleagues and your people and the environment in a way which is not coming out of your comfort zone. It sounds easy. For me, it has been incredibly difficult. I love that advice. Yeah, for me, it's fear, right? So I have fear of failure or fear of what people will think. And it's been a lifelong process for me to to acknowledge that and then the courage to push through it anyway without expectation. I don't want to reverse the order, David. We'll, I will start asking you questions. We can if you want. <laughs> But my question to you would be, and I, we are not going to go through that, but if fear of what others will think is one of the things you identify, my, my next question would be, so how do you handle that in a way that forces you to be in your comfort zone? And that's what you should stay away from. Fear is one thing. I'm afraid as well. But then when I'm afraid, I'm going back to my comfort zone. And right. the point is not just to identify the field. The point is to identify, all right, what am I doing when I'm afraid? How do I handle that out from my comfort zone? And how should I get out of this comfort zone and handle it in a different way? So, yeah, let's not reverse the order. You keep asking me questions. Otherwise, <laughs> you'll find yourself <laughs> analyzed. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So let's get into a little bit about your, your personal backstory, guys. So yeah. now you're the... CIO of a global organization, but where did you start out and, and how did you get to the point you're at today? Yeah. So nothing, absolutely nothing worked as planned. And actually, you know, when young people, and I consider myself not to be old, but let's call it experienced, okay? It's a nice way of calling it. You know, they, they ask me about planning and how do you plan your next phase and career, et cetera. I said, guys, you can plan until tomorrow. Things will happen to you. And the real trick is to be open enough to things that are coming at you, good or bad. And I'll give you my story and do something with it, okay? So I didn't grow up wanting to be a CIO. Honestly, I didn't know what a CIO is when I started. I started, believe it or not, I want to be a clinical psychologist. That's why I said, be careful. Let's don't reverse the elder here. <laughs> Watch yourself. <laughs> But I went to the university, I did the BA, I, did the, I didn't finish the master, but I was really towards the end. I started the training as a clinical psychologist, so I spent eight years thinking that's what I'm going to do. It's a big part of your life, eight years, especially when you are young. Right. Uh, but in parallel, I started to get interested in computer and statistics and stuff and basically made it my livelihood while I was a student. You know, I was actually doing all the statistical analysis to the frightened uh, students that were my friends that didn't want to do those kind of things. And lucky me, it made me 
paid my bills. And then I set up my own startup company, which had nothing to do with psychology. At this point, I left psychology after eight years, which is it's a long time. And then things, one thing led to another, and I sold my company to a bigger company. And then this bigger company was actually, I sold it again. And then this company was uh, sold to PricewaterhouseCoopers or PwC, you know, the, one of the big five. And then IBM acquired PwC. And suddenly, from thinking I'm going to be either a clinical psychologist or a startup crazy guy, I found myself in the last place on earth. I'm not joking. I really wanted to be. I didn't like corporate America. IBM is the mother of corporate America, as, as, as you know. And every time I went there by the IBM buildings when I was young, I told myself, I will never work in this place, ever, ever, ever. And then I found myself in IBM eight years. Okay. <laughs> so I was planning stuff, but things were, you know, things were coming at me. And then the last thing before I'll uh, let you jump to your question. So how did I become a CIO? I was supposed to be nominated as the CEO of IBM in Israel. That's where I grew up. And I was groomed and prepared and everything, you know, and I was really living the dream back then. I went to be a CEO. And something happened, doesn't matter what. And somebody else came actually from, from abroad to be the CEO. That was the disaster of my life. Really, I was really, I really wanted to be a CEO. And I thought, that's it. My career is over, right? And then I said, you know what? I'm going to approach Teva. Teva, you know, Teva. Teva is, is a huge pharma, generic pharma company. I went uh, to Teva. I knew somebody at Teva. And I said, I want to be your CIO to the person that I met. So he said, okay, have you ever been a CIO? No. Do you know something about pharma? Yeah, I go to the pharmacy and I, <laughs> that's basically what I know. You know, and then all the questions he was asking me, he says, I said, no, I was never a CIO. I was, you know, why do you think you can be a CIO? And I get some kind of an answer. They ran me through a whole sorts of evaluation and test and you name it. And then I became a CIO. Trust me, I knew nothing, honestly. The only thing I knew about CIO is the abbreviation. Well, I knew it because I was in uh, technology, in, in IBM, etc. So obviously, I knew what it is, and but I didn't know how to be a CIO. And here I'm getting into a, a back then, 22, 23 billion dollar company, a giant, a monster, and I'm the CIO of the company. And, and I said, "Well, what the hell did I do? Well, how am I going to survive that?" <laughs> And that's it. And I became a CIO. I was six years there. I was also the chief digital officer. At some point, I became parallel. Then I went to Shire and then Biogen. So point is, failure is, is an opportunity. Easier said than done, but yes. And the second point is, you can plan until tomorrow. Things not always happen according to plan. And you better be open to what reality is uh, throwing. 100%. You actually, you answered this through a, a couple pieces of advice that you just gave, but my next question would be, what's one of the most important things that you learned personally or professionally along the way? And what was life like before learning it and after learning it? Yeah, life, I thought I can do everything and I know everything and nobody's smarter than me. 
As a young, passionate person, life after that said, be humble. Yeah, you do control some part of the things you do, but not everything. Okay, so be humble. Be much more inquisitive than knowing. You know, we have a tendency to come at things knowing what it is, what do we need to do, what's, you know, whatever we need to know. But I've learned that uh, there's much more than what you see in all situations. There's much more than what you see in first value, first glance. And you have to be with a question mark in your mind. And again, when I was young, I had a, an exclamation mark. I know this. This is the answer. I'll go there. And then the exclamation became a question mark. How did it happen? I think it's an evolution. You know, it's a process. It's not like one day I woke up and said, but the more I encountered complicated situations, which I did, I mean, in my role, the more I learned that actually a question mark is much better than having an exclamation mark. I love that. It's great advice. How about a time in your role as CIO, either in your current role or your previous role, that you had a, a significant challenge or a failure or whatever you'd like to call it, something that you took a, a very important life lesson or business lesson away from? Well, let's talk about digital a little bit if you want. Please. <laughs> I'm not sure you will be happy that you invited me to this session after I will tell you what I think about digital, but but this comes... Hey, I, I love it. <laughs> Bring it on. I'll throw it. Don't worry. I was the most passionate person I know around digital. And at Teva, which again, for people who doesn't know Teva, it's, it's a really big company. It's the largest generic company in the world. This is company serves 200 million patients every day. Listen carefully to the number. 200 million patients being served by Teva via its medications every day. So just to give you, and I was an extremely, extremely passionate person about digital. I got the role, as I told you, to be the CDO together with the CIO. And we formed obviously a team. And I was a very, very big believer in, I would say, the real potential transformation that digital can bring to pharma, especially to Teva. And I want to make a distinction between transformation and transposition. I'll give you an example in a second. Because a lot of things we call today transformation is just what I call transposition. I'll give you an example so it will be clear. And I was putting everything I had in this digital journey that Teva had. But we had great ideas. I'm telling you, and I will give you one or two ideas. And I must say that after spending, what, 10, 15 years around the digital promise in pharma, in life science, not in general, we are talking about pharma and life science because it's my industry, I'm starting to get a little bit to see some reality about what it is, what it can bring. And maybe reality, by the way, is a good thing because, you know, usually when we start, we think that we're going to conquer the world and digital is going to save the day. And everything we were not able to do in the last 150 years, digital will come, and with AI, all problems will be solved. I mean, at least that's what we are being solved by everybody. And obviously, this is not the case. So I have some realizations from digital. I think digital can do stuff for pharma and life science. Don't make me wrong. Is it going to take this industry upside down as a promise? I don't think so, at least not in the foreseeable future, unfortunately. 
I don't want to declare the death of digital in life science because it's, you know, it's who, who am I to say that? But I think a lot of water needs to go under the bridge before something serious will really be transformed in, in pharma with digital. Now, when I say transformation and transposition, let me give you one example. So, you know what? What we do now is a transposition. Why? Because in the old days, old days, we were probably sitting in a studio physically, probably, probably face-to-face in a physical medium or in a physical setup and probably would conduct roughly the same uh, discussion. We have transposed this physical process into a virtual process. We've right. transposed it. Did we transform something fundamental? Not really. That's my example. And if you take the dozens of things that we call transformation, because it's much sexier to talk about transformation, which is basically more of transposition. I'm not saying it's not important to transpose, but are we really changing the nature and the how we really do what we do now, which is conversing and talk? I don't think so. So when you really go deep and, and you know learn a little bit about what digital means for, again, for pharma, a lot of important things are happening. Don't get me wrong. A lot of uh, advancements and new stuff. Is it transforming the industry? Yet to be seen. And my problem is that it's okay to do what we do. Just let's stop bombarding the world with telling it that we are going to change pharma from left to right, you know, uh, upside down, and everything will be different. And we will discover drugs we never thought we can. And you know, I can give you the list. And AI obviously is going to save the day. And you know, so many people talk about AI, they don't even know what the abbreviation of AI is. <laughs> no, I'm not joking. And then they say AI, AI, ML. ML is actually part of AI, which is a general category of everything. So you don't need even to say AI, ML. AI is enough. So there is some uh, disillusion, at least in my eyes, from, from what it is. It's a long speech, but it's an important no, I- it makes sense to me what you're saying. It's and it's interesting. I love the distinction of the transposition versus transformation. Let me ask you, and this this just came up now. I mean, do you have any opinions on the transformation of digital health in the provider space? Yeah, I mean, look, it's not dramatically different, and in some cases, even more complicated. To be honest, I mean, if you think about the provider space. The entity, which is called the patient, and how do you really handle a patient? There could be a big transformation there, to be honest. And, and by the way, I don't want to call it digital. I mean, anything we do today is analog. Right. But really, everything we do is digital anyway. So let's just drop the digital and talk about the substance. Can there be a transformation in, in the provider? I think that it could. I think it's a gigantic uh, lift. Just think about one thing. I mean, think about the uh, the EMRs, the electronic medical record. The electronic medical record systems or platforms are mostly designed around the transactions, the billing, the transactions, less around the patient. Yes, if I go into my EMR today, I can probably see, you know, my appointments and my visits and my. But is there a way to really create a different approach in the provider side around the entity, which is called the patient? 
Probably there is. Is that an easy task? I think it's a gigantic task. Is there a motivation in the provider side to do it? Not really. Not yeah. sure. Not sure. It is a very difficult space, to be honest, also the provider side. Agreed. Thank you for, uh, for humoring me there. So I, I want to talk more about your current role at Biogen Guy. Before we get into it, I like to ask my guests, favorite literary piece either that you're reading right now or, or all time? I'm not reading right now because I don't, well, I'm not so proud about it, but believe it or not, I loved the first two books of Harry Potter. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Love that answer. Harry Potter in my family is like a lot of families, a cult. Actually, Harry Potter and the Lord of the Rings is actually winning, right? On Harry Potter, but I really enjoyed the first two books of Harry Potter. And the next were, you know, a little bit too much for me, but the first two ones were... A phenomenal fantasy, fantasy world. Agreed. I'm excited for my daughter. She'll be two in, in January to get old enough. I can oh, start yeah. reading them to her. And oh, yeah. Yeah. It'll be exciting. And, and uh, obviously Tolkien and Lord of the Rings. That's one of my, my favorite fantasy series. Anyway, so Guy, global CIO of Biogen. Tell us a little bit about your vision for... IT and technology as it's translated from the overarching vision for the organization, what you guys are up to? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I'll give you my my perspective. I will not uh, go into detail specifically, not around Biogen, you know, due to the sensitivity, but I'll tell you what I think a CIO is and, and is not, okay? And you make the ties to Biogen because it's, it's my philosophy anyway. First of all, I have to tell you an interesting uh, joke. In one of my interviews to one of the companies as a CIA, which I will not tell you which one, I was interviewed by a phenomenal guy. And, you know, he opens up the interview and he says, you know, you know what's the abbreviation of CIO? I said, of course I know. I mean, it's a chief information officer. He said, no, his career is over. <laughs> <laughs> so at that moment, I knew I want to work with this guy anyway. <laughs> So let me tell you something, uh, which is my philosophy. And if it's my philosophy, definitely that's the way. If you are a CIO of a relatively large organization, I'm not talking about a CIO that runs 20 people. I'm talking about a CIO of a company like Biogen or this game. In your role as a CIO, 20%, I'm just picking a number, is technology. And 80% is management. And I think this is one of the biggest misunderstanding organizations generally and people and CIOs have about what is actually the role of a CIO. Now, let's be clear. I need to know technology. I need to understand technology to some extent. Obviously, I can't be a professional best technologist in all domains. But if you think about what's the role of the CIO, it's actually managing First and most importantly, a very large, complicated, multidisciplinary, multi-layered, multifunctional organization that basically touches all the aspects, all the aspects of the organization that he sits in. So, you know, finance, HR, manufacturing, in the case of pharma, commercial, R&D, legal, you name it. IT is touching everybody. All the time, morning, evening, night. So I think that the first philosophy or philosophical principle is 
this is number one about management. And, you know, there is no school for how to become a CIO manager or a CIO leader. There's no school. People think that, oh, yeah, I'm very good at understanding infrastructure, just speaking as an example. Then I become, I can become a CIO. Wrong. It's actually not true. Oh, right. I'm very good at understanding databases. I'm just, again, picking, oh, I, I'm an expert in Microsoft or whatever. I'm expert in SAP, ERP. Oh, hence I can be a CIO. It's a very wrong logical jump. And this is something I've learned from my experience. I mean, and you know what? To some extent, I was lucky that I came to the CIO role, not being a technological expert in anything. My first role in Teva, because then it forced me to actually be a manager. I noticed you're using the word manager and, oh, yeah. you know, there's the leadership versus oh, management. Yeah. Let me tell you my second statement. Everybody sure. wants to be a leader. Nobody wants to manage. It's very easy to talk about leadership and not to say that leadership is not critical, not to say that leadership is not important, but I want to make a distinction. The problem that I have with that is we are leading all the time and we are transforming all the time. These are the two <laughs> words that you are hearing day in, day out. Give me a break. Right. Nobody is right. transforming anything every second and nobody is leading all the time. Yes, there is leadership, but leadership cannot replace the need to manage. Now, you can be a manager without being a leader. Maybe you can be a leader without, without being a manager. I don't want to get into this philosophical uh, debate, but I'm a little bit tired of hearing all the time, we lead here, we lead there, we transform here, we transform there. First of all, IT is a huge organization, extremely complex. It has a lot of operational aspects, you know, Wake up in the morning and make sure that your mic is working and your new PC that you just brought in is working. And right. I'm just, okay, there's a big budget that you have to run. Huge budget in IT usually is a is a big uh, is a big spender. You need to know how to run it. So if I think about my approach, my philosophy, I mean, first thing is about management. And I'm telling you all the things that I've been working with. And when we started the journey together. It was not easy for them as well because people are used to, here comes the CIO, let's talk about the technology here and the technology there. Obviously, I deal a lot with technology, don't get me wrong. Right. But there is a very, very thick, important, critical layer of just learning how to manage a big organization with all the complexities and dimensions that big IT organization uh, is holding. That makes sense. So I know that with the work that you're doing at Biogen, you know, a lot of it is, is confidential. Are there any initiatives that you guys are, are working on that you're excited about that you can share with our Yeah, our listeners? no, obviously I can't. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing I can say, I can't, I really can't. And, and let's say what is not public knowledge, there's nothing I can share. The only thing I can say, listen, and this is public knowledge, and I think this is important. I think Biogen is, I think, really picked up one of the toughest, I don't want to say the toughest, one of the toughest areas of human health or disease areas or therapeutic areas, which is the neurological space. In that respect, I think the company is, is a pioneer. And the company is regarding itself as a pioneering company. Uh, not easy to be a pioneer. You, know, you win some, you lose some, like in all pharma. Sure. But we are really trying to pave the way in areas that 
you know, been there for, I don't know, hundreds of years or, or whatever, and really see what we can find out. So I, I can't really share plans that are in the making. That makes sense. What about challenges that either IT is facing right now in general as a, your organization or that Biogen is facing in your, your industry? Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, you need to understand that the health pharma biotech industry is, because of what is a very conservative industry. Okay. Thank God it's very conservative because unlike financial services, we actually produce stuff that you put in your body. And we better be conservative in everything we do in terms of safety. And okay. But when you come to innovate or change or try to push some of the platforms that you use today into the future, you have to deal with all the risk issues that pharma is dealing with, uh, sure. which is way more than any industry that you know, like it's way more than financial services or the travel industry because of the nature of what we do. So some of the challenges that I'm now uh, dealing with is taking some of the platforms and systems, want to call them, that we've been working for many, 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 many years. And how do you really push it into the future? In areas around R&D, in areas around, you know, the heavy, heavy, complicated areas of manufacturing, these are very, very complicated processes and systems. That's definitely a challenge. And it's a challenge not just for us, it's a challenge for the industry, but that respect also for Biogen. So we do have a roadmap for the next few years where we feel very comfortable and where we don't feel comfortable enough in terms of how do we bring ourselves to be in the front seat. There is a challenge, despite everything I said before about digital, how do we use smartly what is out there in terms of new technologies or sophisticated stuff which is coming? How do you pick the right ones? Because there are dozens and dozens and dozens of things coming at you. Okay, right. Not all bad. So I want to balance a little bit what I said before, but the problem is how do you choose what's right for you. And this is one of the challenges that we have. And how do you make it impactful? Okay, I don't want to pick tomorrow a new technology that sounds great and I would use it in a very small corner of the organization. And yes, it will move the needle half an inch and nobody will, nobody will feel it. Problem is to pick the right technologies, but also how to use it in a, in a way that move the needle, doing something impactful. That's a big challenge. And also, people think that if you have the right technology coming from the outside, people don't understand how complicated it is to bring a new technology into a running, live, kicking, big organization. You may have the best ever technology out there. Perfect. Phenomenal. Still, you will not be able to use it because take the benefit out of that. Because bringing it in, into the organization, into the systems, into the people, into the processes, into regulation, just not doable. And then you miss an opportunity. So it's not just identifying what's out there, bringing it in is tough. For example, I mean, you know that everybody loves to change as long as it's not them who needs to change, but their colleague. So nobody wants to change. Let's be honest. Neither you nor me. So bringing a new thing inside, driving the new, you know, 
implementing the new technology, making people change their behavior, getting out of the comfort zone. Stop saying we've done it before. Okay, so what if you've done it before? Let's try a new way. That's actually very challenging. Agreed. So Guy, we're coming up on time here. I got a, a couple questions left for you. One would be in the biotech pharmaceutical arena, what do you think will be some of the the biggest changes as time passes? Yeah, I mean, I've I have a belief. If I link it, let me link it to technology first and then maybe uh Look, it's a very, 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 very slowly changing industry. And, and I'm saying, thank God for that. I'm not mm-hmm. saying the other way around because, you know, right. you're doing things which are extremely sensitive. I think that if you want to see what potentially can then disrupt the industry, really disrupt the industry, I believe that if and when, and I don't think it's an if, it's a question of when and how, quantum computing will become real and available, it will change potentially the face of not just pharma, not just pharma, but definitely pharma. You want to talk about disruption? This is disruption. <laughs> like right. really a disruption. And I'm sure you know a little bit or more than a little bit about quantum, but it's not a gradual change. That's a, that's a real leap forward. And talk about pharma and you talk about drug discovery and everything we do in pharma, there are limitations of capacity, the computing power. We are limited. We are limited. Theoretically, this will remove almost all limitations. Now, if you, and I'm not a pharmacist and I'm not a PhD in chemistry or something, but the guys I talk to and I read, you know, I'm reading a lot and I know the space, it will change. Everything we do in pharma. And I don't think it's very far down the road, five to 10 years. Really, this is a big change from a technological perspective. I think more and more we will see new discoveries, take the latest discovery around COVID, the mRNA mechanism. This is a new mechanism. So I think if you combine it also with power of technology, we will see more and more novel mechanisms that are being discovered, which will open up, seriously, I don't want to say endless opportunities, but definitely endless opportunities. And by the way, again, the COVID example is a phenomenal example. It is a phenomenal example, and that's a sign of things that can happen for us. It's a fascinating industry. What can I say? It's, uh, it's unbelievable. It's really interesting. Love it. So Guy, as we close out here, we like to ask all our guests, If you could go back five or 10 years in time, what advice would you give your younger self? Number one, take care of your health. We take for granted our body. We take for granted our youth. We take for granted the fact that uh, at the age of 40 or 50, you don't think that it's coming to an end. Not not that it's coming to an end on my side. Don't don't (laughs) get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. Take care of that. It's, it's actually very important. And when I say health, is the physical and mental health. I mean, you know, uh, both, not just the physical side. Yeah, I think I would give myself that advice. And as a CIO, this is a demanding job, like all other jobs. And when you are young and you think about your career, you, know, you put everything you can inside, which you should. If you're passionate, definitely you should put everything you have into it while taking care of yourself. 
that's the only that's thing great I advice add. guy it's been an absolute pleasure having you on thank you so much for taking the time oh me too i enjoyed it and i didn't ask you a lot of questions and trust me i do usually my people know so you were saved <laughs> i got lucky nice <laughs> exactly. thank you and to our listeners thanks for tuning in we'll catch you next week thank you david bye-bye Thank you for listening to the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and subscribe to enjoy future episodes. This episode is brought to you by Disruptive Innovations, a leading tech consulting firm that helps enterprise organizations with their IT strategy, process optimization, and workflow improvement. Contact them and find out more at disruptiveinnovations.net.